Welcome to Health Matters, Sonoma's weekly program devoted to health and well-being. Each week, through interviews, editorials, and listener participation, we will explore topics and issues of contemporary medicine and its relationship to the lifestyles of our community. Our goal is to provide you with information and resources to help you achieve and maintain what you deserve, a happy, healthy, and productive life. We're your hosts, Ned Hoke and Adam Lehman. And welcome back to Health Matters. Always happy to join this day with you. Ned Hoke with you today. Uh, We have quite a good show for you, I believe. Today we'll be talking primarily with Mitchell Earl Gibson, the author of Your Immortal Body of Light. This is a book that begins, My Name is Mitchell. And it begins the story of how Mitchell, Gord, Mitchell Gibson, in his, out of his ordinary consciousness, went into the inner realms of his being. He was the chief resident of a, in psychiatry at a large inner city medical center, and he began a journey expanding his consciousness using meditation. He met the uh, ancient god of healing, Dijanti, or Toth. He's a psychiatrist, and he was indeed speaking with an actual entity of a, an immortal way, which makes a very interesting story. And as you, as you listen to uh, Dr. Mitchell speak, it's quite striking the way he w- takes us through a romp of um, metaphysics and uh, personal uh, story. It's rather like Carl- Carlos Castaneda, if for those of you familiar with Carlos Castaneda. The, um, so before we get to that, Mitchell will be with us here um, in a few minutes. We do have a few announcements, but I do encourage you to stay. For those of you who are, have any kind of metaphysical interest, uh, Mitch Gor- Mitchell Gordon uh, Gibson, I keep saying Gordon, Mitchell Gibson will give you quite a story, and it's very much worth reading, and I found the book. So before we do get to that, we do have some announcements, and uh, I want to re- re- again remember that the uh, there's a free showing of The Inconvenient Truth, What is Global Warming at the Sebastiani Theater. That's Saturday, April the 21st at 2 p.m., uh, after their after the show, the doors open at 1:45, and there's a, a Q&A after the session of the film. This is a complimentary uh, thing from the Sonoma Community Services, Environmental Commission, and the Sonoma Ecology Center. So those are the people who are putting that on. And then also coming up ahead very soon is the uh, the Cinco de Yoga at the uh, uh, yoga comp- uh, yoga community. They'll have free mini classes, a chance to spend more time with the teachers. There's, there's called, they're going to do a thing called Twister Yoga, and they're going to be uh, people are going to be showcasing various things. This is a this is a Cinco de Yoga. This is Saturday, May the fifth, ten to two p.m. That's at the Yoga uh, Community. It's on Fifth Street. That all of you know where that is. I hope. And then also, I want to announce a new a couple of new classes that I'm kind of pleased to see. Our old friend uh, Jane Zimmerman, uh, who is one of our better-known and much-loved local um, uh, marriage family counselors, she's doing a class at Sonoma Hills. She's doing a free yoga class. This was announced in the Index Tribune this last uh, Tuesday, I believe, or last week, I meant to say. It reads, the announcement, a new general yoga class, a meditation class for seniors is now being offered every Tuesday, 1030 to 1120 at the Sonoma Hills Retirement Community. That's at 405 West MacArthur Street. Instructor Jane Zimmerman teaches stretching, breathing, and meditation and guided imagery, which helps reduce stress and improve health. No experience is necessary. Wear loose, comfortable clothing. Bring a mat. Drop-ins are welcome. 
the class is free, but the, the instructor will accept donations. And what Joan, uh, Jane tells me is that she's really, uh, the purpose of the class is to help people feel more awake and more alert as elders tend to drift off, as we all know. Some of us even not that old, hopefully, but we, we drift off as well. So to quiet the, uh, the, the fears, anxiety, to uh, lift the depression, so on. This is quite a good class, and Jane is quite experienced at teaching the elderly. So for those of you who want a free class at Sonoma Hills, again, that is, um, as I said, it's on uh, Tuesday. That's at 405 West MacArthur between 1030 and 1120. I have to believe it'll be a good class, and Jane's an excellent teacher. Well, we do have Mitch Mitchell here with us now. So, Mitchell, uh, thanks so much for calling Health Matters. Hello. Hello, hello. Well, I told our listeners that we they, they had to be ready for a pretty strong dose of metaphysics, uh, and so I hope that you're ready to uh, to provide that dose. It won't be a problem. Well, that's great. Well, we we told our listeners that already that you had been a chief resident of a of psychiatry at a uh, inner city medical center, and that you'd now. I didn't actually get on to mention that you'd gone on now to become a teacher in this way of um, of, of uh, medical metaphysics. But let's let's sort of start at the beginning, Mitch. Uh, can I call you Mitch? Are you are you are you known as Mitchell? Mitch is fine. Mitch is fine. Uh, yeah. Uh, Mitch is. Uh, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are, and and let's start right away with also telling our, our listeners about what the immortal body of light, what that title is, is a signifier of. The Immortal Body of Light is a compilation of my experiences related to studying higher states of human consciousness, in particular, um, a, basically a shamanic journey uh, with guidance by a being that I later came to understand was an immortal being by the name of Toth, or he called it like he liked to call himself, Dejanti. And this was a... Um, a very challenging journey for me because at the time I was a chief resident at a major hospital in Philadelphia and I had to hide my experiences. It wasn't something you could share with your the chairman of your department, which oddly enough at the time the chairman of my department was also the president of the American Psychiatric Association and the vice chairman was the vice chairman, vice president of the American Psychiatric Association. So I had two very high-powered people running my residency at the same time that I was having experiences that I really couldn't tell anybody about. That must have been extremely stressful, I would think. Extremely. Now, psychiatry is probably one of the two or three most stressful of all the residencies you can do. Uh, I think only surgery is rated as a much more stressful um, residency program. It's so stressful that half the people that start in our program, that started in the program that I was in, drop out because of fatigue, of being burned out, whatever problem comes up, only about half the residents that start the program finish. Well, my experience was true in my program. And my experience of being in medical school was that that also a number of people who sometimes think they were they wanted to be psychiatrists when they actually look at it up close, they don't want to be. That's another. I that's mean, true. I, that's a, another. That's just my personal experience. Uh, but there you were. What what years are we talking about, uh, Mitchell? I was a resident at Einstein between 1985 and 1989. Uh huh. I see. I was chief resident from 88 to 89. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. So there you were, and and you say in the in the beginning of your book, the title, the Golden Man chapter, you say you began med- meditating, however, at the age of 12, so that you 
this didn't just suddenly land on your shoulders. You'd been going to, in this direction for a while. Tell our listeners a little bit about maybe kind of like that early stuff and then kind of there you were in medical school and, and possibly a little bit about how medical school maybe actually was in some ways possibly, I'm just reaching now, but it possibly was an outgrowth of the fact that you'd, you'd taken already an inner journey. My parents went through a very nasty uh, divorce when I was very young, about five years old, mm-hmm. and the divorce lasted for a number of years. And uh, there were five of us, my brothers and sisters, moved in with my mom. Mm-hmm. And even after that, they continued this very bitter battle between them. And one day, uh, a man came to our school who was teaching transcendental meditation. I think he was actually a Buddhist monk. And he showed how you could sit in a position, breathe in a certain way, and it would help calm you and your surroundings. So I went home and tried it, and it helped. It helped block out the yelling and the screaming. And so around that time, I was about 12 years old, and I just continued doing it. And I noticed that as I did it, my grades got better, I could sleep better, and in general, I felt better inside. And so I continued doing it up until, I would say, my third or fourth year of college, and then I I stopped. But when I got into medical school and started doing it, medical school is a very stressful place. I mean, (laughs) the biggest load I ever took in college was 19 hours, but the first uh, first semester of medical school, I had 28 semester hours to take. So it was a much larger load than I was used to taking. A lot of people either drop out or start doing drugs or drinking, and you get through it, but it takes its toll on you. So I started meditating again, and it really helped with my concentration, my ability to do the work, my ability to retain the data, and I found it to be a very useful and helpful tool. But over time, I found that it, it did more than just made me a better student and made me concentrate better. The gears in my consciousness, uh, that's what I like to call them, started shifting. I started perceiving reality somewhat differently. And to help me understand what I was seeing, I began to read books like Autobiography of a Yogi, Illusions by Richard Bach, a number of books. I mean, I read the Castaneda books. And it began to resonate with some of the experiences that I was seeing. Mm-hmm. Well, it, it sounds like, as I read your text, it does sound like you have you have reached intellectually broadly into the subject that we're talking about. It sounds to me like I, I can hear the sort of echoes of of many of the things you just spoke to. Um, and and at the same time, fairly early on, it sounds to me like it, 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 well, maybe I'm jumping ahead here, but it sounds to me like fairly well how well let me, I'll put it to you let me ask you when when you when the first time you met the golden man how much later was that than when you got out of college or medical school well, I meant I, to say I first met the golden man when I was in my residency uh-huh. and I would say at that time I was about 25 or 26 years old so I've been meditating uh, fairly regularly for about the better part of 12 years at that point let's let's and, go ahead excuse go me ahead. Well, I was just going to say that you you tell it so well, but I hate to stop you in the middle. But let's tell our listeners a little bit about meeting the Golden Man. Let's 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 build up to that story and and well, and give us give our, our our listeners a feel for what that was like. I had been on call, uh, and when you're on call, you go in the hospital one day and you leave usually four thirty six to forty eight hours later. Right. And if you get sleep, you're lucky. And so I was so tired when I got off call. I went home, and I I got into my meditation robe, and I started to meditate. And it was around sunset, maybe around 6, 37 o'clock, and the room 
became filled with this beautiful golden light. And I thought to myself, okay, the sunset's pretty today. And you could see this with your eyes closed. And so I looked, I opened my eyes just to make sure I was looking at the sunset. And there was a beautiful luminescent um, field that was forming in a vaguely humanoid shape near the window at the edge of my bed where I meditated on my bed. I thought, this is really pretty and different. And so my analytical mind kicked in and said, well, you must be tired. must be something related to you not getting enough sleep. But it continued to coalesce and form whether my eyes were open or closed. And I pinched myself, and I knew very, very clearly that I was awake. And as it continued, the experience continued, a being that was roughly about somewhere between 8 and 10 feet tall began floating in my room. Mm. And at that time, it really frightened me. And I, to be honest, I stopped meditating. I looked under, the, I got under the cover, and I covered my head up and thought, okay, this will go away in a second. I'll wake up, and then it'll be gone. And I, I waited about five minutes, and I got back up, and it was still there, but it was even bigger and brighter. And I thought, okay, wow. it's going away. Uh-huh. I've probably gone insane. Let's explore this. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> As long as we're saved, we might as well we might as well check it out. Yeah, yeah we might as well check it out. You yeah. know, they'll be coming to get you in a few minutes. You might as well have a good story for them. <laughs> yeah. So I looked at it, and this being talked, but he didn't really have what you would define as features. It would be like looking at a a statue that doesn't have well defined features, but you could tell that it was roughly male, broad shoulders, uh, fairly well built but it could talk without necessarily moving anything that you would define as lips or mouth or anything like that. And as, and so you heard actually a sound emitting from this golden man. That's right. He was floating. He was speaking. And, I, and from the experience now, as I understand it, I was suspected as telepathy or some type of communication that on this planet we don't usually use uh, that frequently. But in the communication, he began talking with me. He called me by name, and I said, well, who are you? And he gave me his name, and he pronounced it Dejanti, which he related would spell for me D-J-E-H-U-T-I, something like that. Mm-hmm. And that began a relationship that became very instructive for me as a human being and as a physician. Mm-hmm. And that was the first meeting. And I, this was approximately 1986, thereabouts, mm-hmm. February of 86. And and before that meeting, now you'd obviously been an, an active meditator, but had you had you dabbled in the, and been reading the metaphysics texts? Uh, w- had all that occurred uh, prior to this adventure? So, in other words, did you have? Um, some... Not really, uh-huh. because in medical school you don't really have a lot of time right. to read anything. I had the national boards to get ready for. I had what they call the flex, which is a right. federal licensing exam to get ready for. So I didn't have a lot of time to read the things that I would have like to have read. Mm-hmm. But after this happened, I went to Barnes & Noble and uh, Bookstore and all that, and I got everything that it was even remotely related to that. Mm-hmm. I guess I would, I certainly would as well. <laughs> so, so anyway, so here you are, you're in medical school, you've, you've had this, ext- your, your residency, that, that, that is to say, you've had this Correct. extraordinary experience, you're still not able to share this with your, your, uh, professional kith and kin, if you will. So tell us, listeners, a little bit about what you did with it. How did you deal with it, besides going to the Barnes and & Noble and, and reading books? Well, I told my girlfriend at the time about it, and she wasn't what I would call supportive. 
she said that it was probably a result of stress and fatigue, and it was something that I would be best uh, served to keep to myself. Ah. And so I took her advice. I ah. stopped meditating. I didn't tell anybody about it. I started working out. Even though I was on call a lot, I started to try to get as much sleep as I could to try to maybe shake what I thought was the result of overwork and stress. I didn't want to be one of those residents that had to quit psychiatry and do something else. I wanted to make it through it. Mm-hmm. And so for six months, I became as straight and as clear and as normal and as healthy as I could. And then at, during this time, I felt like I was lying to myself. I said, I, you know, as, as hard as I tried, as much as I wanted to, I couldn't make the experience go away. I couldn't explain it away. I couldn't analyze it. I couldn't make it fit into any paradigm that made sense to me analytically. I couldn't make it fit into a dream. And the whole conversation that happened between he and I bugged me because it was clear and crisp and beautiful. Mm-hmm. And the sonorous sort of beautiful quality of the voice haunted me more than anything. And after about six months, I just decided that I can't avoid this anymore. To be honest with myself, I have to try this again. And so I sat down. I hadn't been on call. I had had a week off, and I sat down and started meditating again. And within a minute, he was right back. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So anyway, so that that tell that gives our listeners a little sense of what the basic topic, or at least at least the the sort of the threshold experience of your contacting this being, and the sort of what what has become. Uh, a whole sort of way of life for you subsequent to that. But what I wanted to do, just because I wanted to li- let our listeners know in advance of this, of the, the rest of the hour, I wanted to let our listeners know in broad stroke, let's, let's walk through the book in a summary form so that we get a sense of what it is you're going to tell us in this book. So maybe, again, without getting too deeply into any particular piece of it, let's tell our listeners what this book, Your Body of Immortal Light, is going to, what ground is it going to cover in broad stroke? In very broad strokes, it goes through the development of my relationship with this being that initially I had equal amounts of fear and respect for, and it covers how it affected my relationships both outside my profession and within my profession, and gradually how I was able to evolve as a human being to accept the fact that many parts of our society, especially our major religions, are based on those type of Gnostic experiences. And what I was having was something that people had had for centuries. And it really transformed my understanding of what to be, what being a human being was. And it also helped lead me to a relationship with a beautiful lady that I'm now married to. And it really helped me understand better about what real immortality was, and not just as a metaphysical concept, but as a reality. And I think that's, of course, one of the striking the, the striking positions that your book takes, which, of course, is that it 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 the immortal body of uh, a body of light is, in fact, a, a very thoroughgoing and very succinct, actually, for me, presentation of what has come in the voices of others. I mean, you're you, and as you perfectly well acknowledge in your writing, you're not the only person that's saying these things. I mean, you're one of the people who are saying it currently. Your book is new as of last year, and so on. But this is an old story. This is not something that has that that you're you're not the author of this story. You're a participant in it. And that's right. And uh, and, and 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 one of the things, of course, there, as I read the book, what I kept stumbling upon again and again, and just. Almost, almost not every, almost every page, I would come upon an assertion, a life positive, a life giving assertion that would be the kind of thing that if one were to be in distress of one sort or another, that assertion could could 
could turn your whole ver- whole sense of the world on its head, really, because there's sort of the dark side of, or the, there's this, the, the, the life-denying side of one's consciousness where one says sort of, sort of saying in one way or another, no, 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 it's, it's, and, it's and as you put it many, you put it in so many different ways. You talk about how, how capitalism has taken over the, the sense of perceived reality in the mind of many. And while you don't labor on that very hard, you, it seems to me I can only recall it in a, in a paragraph or two, you talk about how capitalism and the rules of capitalism is, is almost like the disease of the, of the current moment and how much of the kind of thing that you're talking about is in a sense almost an antidote to that, even though I don't recall you saying it quite that way. Um, so I was struck by, again, the, 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 this, the, the assertion after assertion, medical, metaphysical assertion after medic, metaphysical assertion. And then at, at the end of the book, you summarize many of these uh, in, in a very succinct, uh, very uh, space-efficient way about how DNA and how the structure of our, our physical form, the structure of our consciousness, in fact, is set up toward an the potential of an evolutionary development, and you describe in detail about the the, the nature of the soul and the, and the conditions of the soul. But we're going to need to take a break right now and get into more details of that. But if you'll stay with us, Mitchell, for a few minutes, we'll take a little break here at KSVY 91.3 Sonoma, and we'll be back with Mitchell Gibson, Dr. Mitchell Gibson, and his book, Your Immortal Body of Light. So stay with us here, and you too, Mitchell, please stay with us. And I'm going to push this button, and off we go. Is your nonprofit organization planning an event for our community? You can have your events and activities announced on KSVY by coming into the studio at 164 West Napa Street on Tuesdays from 11 to noon or Thursdays from 3 to 4. Just bring a 30-second script and some music to match, and we'll take care of the rest. For more information, call 933-0808. Do you sometimes feel like you got to dance? The Dance Divas Show on Tuesday evenings from 8 to 9 p.m. brings you a lively variety of dance music, from salsa to tango to rock and roll. You'll also hear announcements about North Bay dance events and special interviews with local dancers and dance teachers. So why not listen in on Tuesday evening at 8 o'clock? Maybe you'll feel like jumping up and dancing like nobody's watching. KSVY, Sonoma. Ned Hoke at KSVY Health Matters. We're back today with uh, Dr. Mitchell Gibson, the author of Your Body of Immortal Light, uh, a tour de force of metaphysics and the transformation of one uh, a practicing uh, psychiatrist who came to understand how Life wasn't what he once thought it was in terms of it, uh, in terms of its mortal nature and many other things. So, Mitchell, um, let's let you start telling us some stories from the book or from things that that were are part of the book that will again give our our listeners a little sense of the, the some of the pieces of what you've you've learned over the years. Well, one of the things that was for me one of the most mind bending and um, it really helped get rid of my skepticism was an experience that we had in the emergency room, and it it was chronicled very early in the book, when I was still struggling with whether or not this whole thing was a figment of my imagination, what was real. I was doing call one night, 
and um, an old man came into the ER who had uh, been suffering from a manic depressive episode. Well, in that disease, a person goes from very high emotions and agitation to deep depression. Well, at this particular time, he was very uh, high in his psychosis. He took off all his clothes, except for his underwear and his shoes, and he ran from Germantown down to South Philadelphia, which, if you don't know that area, it's about a 20-mile run, and it was in uh, dead of winter, and the temperature outside may have been 10, 15 degrees, so it was very cold. When the police caught up with him, they brought him to the ER, and they brought him to me after they checked him out medically, and he was clearly psychotic, running around, um, very agitated. And DeJounte appeared to me while I was evaluating him in the ER, and we were in a room that was closed, and the man could see DeJounte in the corner and started conversing with him. And I thought, okay, at least somebody else can see him, but this is a person who was psychotic. So now I'm sharing my sensory experience with someone who's very psychotic. Right. That's a small step forward. <laughs> no, but it's Mr. something. Jante did something that was unexpected. Okay. He, he said, I'm going to show you how to help this man without medication. So he walked up to him, and he said a word while he held out his arm over the man's head. And the man fell asleep. And when he woke up, he wasn't psychotic anymore. We kept him in holding another day or two, but he went home perfectly well. And I had never seen anything like that because for that kind of psychosis, minimally you need a week of medication, a few days of observation. So it would have been 10 to 14 days minimum. But to have somebody be cleared like that, I mean, within an hour or so, that was something I'd never seen before. And so that got my attention. I imagine. That was one of the first stories that I had. Uh, relate in the book about this interaction. It wasn't the everyday, I'm seeing something and it's a fascinating interaction. He was interacting with patients in a much more meaningful medical way than I ever could have. Hmm. Well, of course, that's, as, as both of us as physicians, we both know that, or we both would, would incline, be inclined to be in, inspired by someone who could do such magical things. Maybe you have some more stories like that in terms of, again, we're, as, as we are a health show, Maybe you could, again, relate some other stories that, that show up in the book that, that talk about the healing applications of this, of this wonderful reality that you'd found your way into. Well, there's another story that I can tell um, that talks about a, a lady that I worked with, and this was somewhat after um, my residency, who came in to me after she had been suffering some very severe chest pains. She had gone to a cardiologist. She'd had EKG, she had had the full cardiac workup, she'd had all her uh, enzymes checked, and she had a uh, full uh, profile of all her chemicals and electrolytes, and she was normal. I mean, her, maybe her calcium was a little low, but that wouldn't cause the excruciating chest pain that she was having. They did uh, a cardiac cath, and her vessels were totally clear. And so they assumed that the pain was, uh, psychosomatic, that it was all in her head. Mm. And they were going to do, as a last resort, a cardiotomy, which is basically they were going to do an electro electrical study of her heart and try to find out the diseased tissue and then cut it out. Well, this terrified her, and she didn't want to do that. So she had heard that <laughs> I did the why, usual yeah. things. She came to see me, mm. and to make a long story short, we discovered that through the uh, intervention that Todd showed me how to do, that this lady had had a series of abortions. Mm. She had had five abortions. Mm. But that the last two of these abortions, the infant that she had tried to abort, 
the physical body of the infant had been destroyed. The abortion physically was successful. But the energetic pattern that we call the consciousness or the soul of this infant had attached itself to her heart and was trying to get her attention through this pain. We relieved the, the infant. We removed the infant's consciousness through an intervention that he showed me, and her chest pain went away. Magic. Absolutely. She did not have to have a cardiotomy. She did not have to take medicine. Absolutely magical. And now, is, is, as, as I would imagine, then, this is perhaps a striking case, but I, this maybe now informs all the work that you're doing currently as a, as a practicing physician. You're, you might want to tell our listeners, actually, you've, you've, you've obviously, you've, you've, now you're long since past your residency, and you're teaching, and you're now doing, uh, tell our listeners a little bit about what it actually, you're actually doing. Are you then visiting with patients, and are you, are you providing this kind of uh, magical service for people, or how is that working? After my residency, I was chief of staff of a hospital in uh, Phoenix, Arizona, for several years. And when I uh, stepped down from being chief of staff, I uh, bought a clinic in Tempe, Arizona, and I ran that clinic up until about two and a half years ago. And I sold the clinic and moved to Summerfield, North Carolina, where I do strictly spiritual medicine. I don't practice traditional medicine anymore at all. Mm -hmm. Before I uh, moved here, though, I was a professor at the, one of the medical schools in the area, and I had residents and I had students, and when I did the whole academic uh, clinical practice thing. But as I was doing that, I was also perfecting my understanding of some of the principles that Toth was teaching me. And now, in my practice of um, spiritual medicine, I use those principles to help people with problems that medical doctors are throwing their hands up about. So most of the people I see, I would say 95-plus percent of the people I see, still work concurrently with the traditional medical doctor while they use my services. And these people actually come physically to see you, or do you talk, talk, do you work with them over the phone, or how do you typically function? Well, both. We have an office in High Point, North Carolina, that people can walk in and see us, have to have an appointment, of course. Sure. But we also see people, I would say probably two-thirds of my clients I've never met physically. Mm -hmm. so we work with them from a distance. Mm -hmm. I see. So that's on the net, or is over the phone, or some we combination? Have a website. Oh, you have a website, um, and that website is? It's www.tybro.com. T-Y-B-R-O.com, mm -hmm. and our contact information is there. Uh -huh. We also have um, an email address and also a contact phone numbers on that website. I see. And and maybe you could mention a little bit, your typical kind of client today is obviously in, in medicine of the kind we're talking about. Typical is probably a misnomer, but... Sure, you know, sh sh surely there, there's, there might be some kind of a way of talking to the question. I mean, there may be some way of saying the, 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 the person who comes to you typically is often anxious, or is, is, is spiritually, uh, spiritually. In psychiatry, when I was doing traditional psychiatry, the most common patient we saw was anxious, depressed, and insomniac. Right. Now right. we get people that come in with pain, uh -huh. insomnia, and difficulty with, um, being able to have enough energy to function in life. Mm -hmm. Those are the symptoms that modern medicine does not deal well with. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, we give a person a sleeping pill, but over time people acclimate to sleeping pills and they don't work anymore. Mm. Of course, pain is an ongoing problem. You give a person a pain pill and it either works or they become addicted to it, but you can't stay on it forever without some sequelae to that. Right. We, the people that we work with, they span a broad range of problems the, probably the most common ones are in those three areas. Mm -hmm. Mood disorders, emotional problems, pain problems, and energy disorders. Uh -huh. And 
in terms of the tools of your trade, if you will, there is your voice, there is the teachings that you have, which are, 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 are really very extensively actually uh, con, you know, considered in this text. I mean, t t taking the, again, taking the metaphysician's tools, the knowledge that you've gained from this teacher that you've had over these years has certainly given you s some very, I would suspect, certain tools of metaphysical awareness, not only awareness, but possibly just skills, them, you know, direct skills themselves. So are those the basic body of tools that you're mostly using? Obviously, you're a trained psychiatrist, so that you have that at your disposal as well. Are you, are you then, does that mean you're not, you're probably not giving any drugs at all, but you're mostly giving advice? Does it m mostly fall in well, that we category? We or? don't use drugs at all. Right. Mm -hmm. um, I don't write prescriptions, even though I still have my license, I'm still board certified and, right. and forensic medicine psychiatrist, et cetera, but we don't use traditional medical tools at all. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I had to do in making this transition is I had to come to understand what an illness was differently than I did as a consequence of my medical training. Mm. I also had to understand what healing was in a different way. Because in medicine, we're really not taught what an illness is. Mm -hmm. We can describe symptoms, and we can put those symptoms in a, in a context that will give the disease a name. And we can then describe a certain course depending on the age and health of that patient, and then we can tell you what the prognosis will be. We can't tell you where the illness came from. Mm -hmm. We can tell you who's more likely to get it and who's less likely to get it. But the actual source of that illness mm -hmm. is not something we're privy to. And then we're not really privy to the force that actually cure, cures it in a patient. And in actuality, truth be told, we don't really cure disease, so to speak. We can put it into remission. If a person has pneumonia, for instance, we can give them antibiotics. The symptoms will go away. But unfortunately, with the right circumstances, it will tend to come back. So over time, I've learned that there are specific tools that address directly the source of illness and the force of uh, energy that will take care of the illness at its root. And in doing that, I've run into a number of very brilliant healers and shamans uh, as a course of my, let's say, my spiritual training, which came out to my residency. Right. It really helped me understand what it is to take an illness and to break it down to its root energetic level and understand how to address it from that level and not just look at it as a material, physical construct, but something entirely different. So it sounds to me like you're almost a psycho-spiritual acupuncturist. Uh, almost like a medicine. And I've seen some really, I won't say miraculous, but some remarkable turnarounds in people. I find that some people are very sensitive to energetic treatment. And some people are not sensitive to it. Mm. Some people are sensitive to pills, and some people you can't give them a pill. Right. I find that in energetic medicine, the same applies. Mm -hmm. that there are a number of tools that we use. We use healing scrolls. We use talismans that come from certain uh, healers. We use uh, some of the primordial scripts we talked about. We also use uh, certain CDs that we created, sound products, that have a very profound effect on people. That's I'll good. give you a story that we just got not two hours ago before the show, if you don't mind. Please. There was a lady who purchased a, a tool that I came across a few years ago called the Anabakoa. We call it the Miracle Prayer. And the lady had a do has a dog, and the dog became sick. The dog's nine years old. I think it was something like a, a beautiful Labrador retriever. Anyway, the dog became sick, and the dog couldn't lie down because when the dog lied down, it was too weak to get back up, and it started whimpering and crying and wouldn't eat. 
And this went on for several weeks, and the family met a student of mine who happened to own the prayer, and the student instructed them, just play the CD beside the dog as the dog slept, mm. or during the day, just play it 24 hours a day. And after about a week of playing the CD, the dog started to get better. And then after about three weeks, uh, two weeks rather, the dog completely recovered. They were going to put the dog to sleep before they started playing the CD. The dog had gotten to such a weakened state and wasn't feeding and, and was urinating and defecating on itself. They figured it was time to just put her down. But after the dog listened to this CD, the dog came back. There was no medicine. There was no vet treatment, no shots, nothing. And they never quite figured out what the problem was. Right. But it's not, for you, it's not, that's not an unfamiliar, looking at your text, it, it, the, the, the potential power of sound healing is, is not an unfamiliar idea for you. So the, the, When I was first introduced to the, the Miracle Prayer CD, um, been working with a client of mine whose father came in with her, and the father had been diagnosed with a renal cell carcinoma. Mm -hmm. And he had started having all the symptoms, blood in his urine, pain in his side, et cetera, et cetera. And they did a, an MRI, and they found that it was a large mass. And so he was scheduled uh, shortly thereafter for a staging laparotomy. They wanted to see how bad it was. And his daughter brought him into the office, and I prayed this prayer over his abdomen and just said, okay, let's hope for the best. And when they cut him open to do the laparotomy, they couldn't find any tumor at all. And five years later, his daughter just wrote me a few months ago, still no cancer, he's fine, no symptoms, nothing. After that, I was really convinced that there's more to treating people than giving them pills and cutting them open, that we really need to try to understand the process by which energy and thought and prayer can help people. And that's when I really made my decision change what I do. Mm -hmm. Well, and, and welcome it is that you do, because you, you, you write with such a, 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 a fervency and a, a scientifically alert mindset that, that, it, that it alerts me, the reader at least, that, that you have considered the, the, all, you know, the earthly realities of the, of the human situation broadly enough so that you're not just being carried away by some kind of swoon into this work that you're doing, but you've, you've, you've to a very reasonable extent, you've you know, explored the, the fullness of the human potential, and you find that the materialist world, in terms of health and healing, is simply uh, deficient of some of the most basic and most creative parts of the healing experience. And the consequence you've discovered and, and you know, located and, and, and had the good fortune to come in contact with um, a great deal of, of knowledge and, and uh, experience that has enabled you to then, you know, to really move beyond. So I, I want to let our listeners know that we do or we will welcome calls for uh, Mitchell Gibson. Uh, our phone number here at, at Health Matters is 933-9133. So any of our listeners, we, we will take a break here in just a minute. Let me see what time is it. We will be taking a break now, but after we come back from the break, We'll be taking calls again, 933-9133. And if I can get this uh, computer to do the right thing here. I have the wrong. I guess we're not going to take a break because I, I can't seem to get the computer to do what I want it to do. So we'll take calls now. Again, 933-9133, Health Matters, uh, talking to Mitchell Gibson. So in our book, the book's called Your Body of Immortal Light. Going back to the book until we get a call, um, uh, I notice quite a lot, I could say quite a lot of, of, of metaphysical uh, sort of facts and, and guidance and so on 
For instance, uh, as you talk about the living soul, you talk about the living soul as having a shape, much like a diamond in the rough, with 617 facets in each um, each soul, and how, for instance, this the individual soul has 617 words of power. Tell our listeners a little bit about that and what, what that's all about. One of the initial journeys that I took with DeJounte when, we, when I first began to accept the reality of the experience I was having with him was he showed me that in order to properly diagnose a client, you really first need to take a look at their basic element of their life force, which is the soul. He showed me where it was in the body, and the basic anatomy and functioning of the soul was that the soul has a diamond, rough, gem-like state in its unenlightened form. And as you, when you examine the soul, in a healthy soul, it has 617 facets, if you can imagine a gemstone that has 617 faces on it, that would be very much like how you would see a soul in its raw form in a person's body. Uh, roughly egg-shaped, roundish form, but not at all even or smooth like you would see in a diamond. Each of these facets has uh, five separate parts, and these five different aspects have different functions, much in the same way that if you look at a human body, there are organs that have different functions within the body. Uh, the first part is called the actus. The actus has a storage function where it stores information regarding a person's life, their destiny, what they're going to do. It also has an aspect called the prima. The prima provides the energy source for the, which ultimately becomes a person's prana or life force. That's another aspect of the soul. The person's spiritual name is the, the energetic aspect of a person's being that vibrates as the name that God gives them from one life from the time they're created until the time that soul either becomes enlightened or disintegrates. And then there's another part um, called the words of power, and the words of power uh, relate essentially to the operating system of the soul itself. It's how the soul gets information from the Creator and carries it out as a person's heartbeat or is there breathing, or is there digestion, other functions in the body. So there are a number of different parts of this soul essence or soul entity that carries out different functions in the body. And so with, with, that, with that sort of uh, um, energetic architecture, then are, these, are any of these particular discriminations that you've just made for us today, are these things that you that either you or Dijanti can access or uh, so you could actually are these the ways that you look into a for instance if you were to look at an individual soul and look for the causative factor for their malaise or their condition of one sort or another are these accessible uh, regions or are these theoretical constructs uh, these are accessible regions that once my senses began to open up and broaden I could see them as easily as I could see a person's hair or their fingernail mm-hmm. and so it, it's something that is almost a shamanic uh, technique, but for me, it's it's just like looking at a person and and telling you what color their shoes are. Wow, wow! Just that must be just st- a stunning fact. It, does it kind of come and go? There you are, living your everyday life and walking down the street. I mean, is are you seeing this all the time, or is it a, a button you can sort of switch on and off, or how does that work? Well, when it first turned on, it was disconcerting because I couldn't control it. Mm-hmm. It was something that I would see superimposed upon my regular vision. I would have this other layer of sensory information coming in that I just couldn't stop, and I couldn't turn it down. So over a series of several years, 
I learned to be able to push it back into a part of my awareness and consciousness so that I can see it at the same time that I'm seeing my normal uh, sensory input of a person. I can see this and another part of my mind. So it's almost like a split screen, it sounds like. Very much like looking at a television and having a little corner of the picture of another channel up in the top of the picture. Mm-hmm. Almost exactly like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And in terms of your own heart, uh, Mitchell, as, you, as you've looked now so deeply at the human condition and so, so deeply at the human situation, whether it's with wellness or whether it's in terms of spiritual growth, do, do you find as you've come along with this deep learning that you've had, this deep metaphysical awareness as it's come to you, this certainly it obviously has opened your heart and, and opened your awareness toward yourself in many ways. I mean, I have to believe that this, the, the transformative, na- but I guess that's one of the things, the joys of reading your book, is that your book sort of lays out a path of suggesting that all of us humans have this potential, have this opportunity, and that actually part of our purpose in being here really is to take advantage of this opportunity to gain deeper awareness, to 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 become acquainted with the the in a sense the uh, the um, the immortal body of light. The and it's it's your you say it's your immortal body of light. So this is a this is a, an opportunity for all of us to participate in. So as as you've come along and you've learned yourself to do this. How do you find yourself inviting your fellow citizens and the people you're working with, people you love and care about, how do you find yourself inviting them in all the different ways? I'm sure there are many ways, but maybe you could tell our listeners a little bit about how you do that, how you invite them forward in this way. Well, one of the things that I use to help entice people in trying to understand this experience is to let them know that, first, the human body is mostly dormant. When you look at human cells and human DNA, um, the vast majority of our DNA, 90-plus percent of our DNA, just sits there. Scientists have thought that it's junk DNA, a remnant of our evolution, but we really don't have a good feel for why the body creates so much DNA that it doesn't use. And when you look at the capacity and the, the, the grandeur of so much extra DNA and so much extra energy, it opens up possibilities that perhaps the human form is a cocoon or a gestating form that holds the key to some higher nature, some higher aspect of ourselves. And clearly, I'm not the first person to make that, that leap in understanding that many cultures, hundreds of cultures, have looked at the human body as a cocoon, as a butterfly, or a caterpillar waiting to become a butterfly. Right. And that there are mysteries surrounding the human condition related to this hidden part of ourselves that I think I was able to get a glimpse into them. And that once a person accepts the higher aspects of reality related to who we can become, then it opens up the fact that this body is not all who you are, that there are other parts of you floating around, functioning, waiting for you to wake up and say hello, basically. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and so given that that potential of that hello, that opportunity, in fact, is a sort of an evolutionary development, it is something that is sort of encoded in the potential of our of our DNA. It's waiting it's waiting for us to discover. I I'm hearing you say that that the awakening up process is something that can be stimulated by somebody like yourself or it can be stimulated in obviously a, a probably a vast number of a variety of ways. Um 
do, do, do you feel that the the interest of the person is is it the sort of thing where a person has to be sort of metaphysically inclined to sort of go in that direction, or do, do you find that oftentimes people in your considerable experience now do they sort of stumble into it completely unbeknownst, uh, without any particular apparent conscious interest in that that kind of development? Or so I'm trying to see. Well, in my experience, very seldom does a person come to this sort of uh, learning or understanding without having some previous interest. Uh -huh. Very seldom that this sort of experience seeks a person out and hits them over the head. Usually a person has to want this sort of thing to happen or be looking for it or be open to it. Uh -huh. And what we found over time is that there are very definite procedures and very definite meditations that when they're applied in a specific way over a specific period of time, they cause a change in people. And we've developed a course called the Living Soul Spiritual Development Course that implements some of these uh, techniques and meditations, and we've had phenomenal, or having phenomenal results, with students starting to experience, I mean, pretty much the same thing that I went through, except in their own personal um, way, they're beginning to experience other aspects of themselves, that when they first started, they said, okay, that's nice, but I'll never see that. But when they start seeing it, it, it really changes my interaction with them. So they say, okay, what does that mean? Mm -hmm. Then the questions become different, mm -hmm. become much more meaningful at that point. So these people are not just getting a book and a CD, and then they're somehow, you're distant off in somewhere in, you know, East Jesus, but you're, you are... Uh, you are actively engaged with these students in a way that they do have access to you, they do have the guidance that you can provide. Is that, am I understanding that correctly? That's right. We have a, they have a monthly lesson that they do, and the lesson is very experiential. I mean, there's a test at the end of the lesson, but there are meditations that they're instructed to do and perform in a certain way, and then during the lesson we touch base and see if they're doing it right, and we check their experiences. Mm -hmm. And two or three times a year, we have what we call residence training, where they come in and we work on the meditations and the exercises as a group. Mm -hmm. And then we have uh, what we call advanced residential training for the students that have begun to experience what we call samadhi, which is a form of a very high visionary experience associated with a very serene, peaceful, beautiful state of consciousness associated with the beginning stages of enlightenment. Mm -hmm. We have a special seminar for them later in the year. That's mm. in August, usually. I see. So this is now a process that's been going on uh, three years, five years, ten years? Uh, uh, it's been going on four to five years now. Four to five years now. And so where where is this going? Where is this headed? Where, what is it just kind of unfolding as it does, and you don't, you don't pretend to know? Well, or Well, what are you thinking? Our we, goal is that the, every student that begins to experience samadhi changes the collective consciousness of humanity. So that one person that transforms their consciousness so that it starts working in this higher gear affects their surroundings, it affects their family. Our goal is to have as many people go through this consciousness as possible so that over time there will be a synergy that develops so that one person will affect another, will affect another, and it will begin to change the base radiation of this world so that it's not so much the way it is, let's put it that way. Okay. So we're truly talking transformation here. I mean, we're, we're talking investing in the, the living humanity, the living, the living uh, tilth of our, the soil of our soul to, 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 to create that transformative process and, and, and potential that we, many of us hope for, but 
have struggled in, with how do, how do we actually get there? How do we actually go there? So it sounds to be... some pretty phenomenal results with students having both personal transformation and transformation in and around their homes and general areas. We really... I'm pleased with the work we've done so far. So it's, let's, it's let's, let's again... Excuse I'm really me. pleased. Well, good. Let's again give our listeners, a, the, again, the website name and the, uh, uh, the, the contact information. Our website is tybro, T-Y-B-R-O dot com. And uh, the contact information is there. It's under the Contact Us icon. Mm -hmm. And there's a phone number listed there. And we mm -hmm. have a number of products. The book, Your Immortal Body of Light, is listed there. Mm -hmm. And probably our best-selling prayer meditation that also has healing properties is called the Miracle Prayer. That's listed there as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, I certainly do. Um, am very impressed with your book and impressed with the story that you tell, and I, I do encourage our listeners who are interested in this subject to pursue this, and particularly start with the book, because, of course, the book does give so much detail to the uh, to the nature of this work. For those of you who are familiar with the general subject of metaphysics, I think that you'll you'll find yourself really in, in a in a very congenial environment because the the way Mitchell Gibson writes about this subject it's these are subjects that you are familiar with these are contact these are he's not some wild wild man at all he's really i mean as i read it you're right in the in the um you're in the flow of that body of knowledge that goes with that kind of information and yet you being a physician and being someone who is been trained to characterize information in a certain way. You've, I, for me at least, again as a, myself a physician, you've made it very accessible, and you've made it so uh, hopeful without being at all sort of uh, sticky about it. You're 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 hopeful because there's the hope is 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 in the nature of the living form itself, rather than some kind of manufactured thing that some human has created. But it actually the hope really lives right at the cellular structure of our potential and so that the the gift that you give and uh, give us in this text is is one of really a very strong nature i think and so i'm very encouraged about it and i of course look forward to your uh, to your coming to visit here in california and giving a you know a local presentation for us so i hope what you'll do is if you do come to california you mentioned that you might that you'll give us a little call here at health matter to let us know and then we you know make sure that we got got you on the air and let the other world uh, the other people that we are in touch with no we're sorry we didn't have people call in and sort of bust your mind a little bit here but uh, be that as it may we were very grateful to have you join us today so thanks so very much thank you so much thank you for having well, well it's been a pleasure we'll talk to you hopefully in, in the future okay bye-bye now so that was Mitchell Gibson, M.D., the author of Your Body of Immortal Light, a very interesting book. I do encourage our listeners to look for it. It's published by Reality Press of, interestingly enough, Forestville, right down the, uh, right down the road here. So you are turned to Health Matters at KSVY 91.3 Sonoma. And uh, let's see, we do have, coming back to our, next week we'll be talking to some folks uh, who will be coming in and telling us about the Department of Peace. And those of you who haven't been acquainted with the Department of Peace discussion, I do urge you to, to, to tune in. Um, Melissa Mulcahy and uh, Terry, somebody whose name I don't remember, will be with us talking about the Department of Peace. Coming up, we're going to be talking to Patricia Talbot of the Sonoma Valley uh, Health Center, talking about their plans. Also, we're going to be again soon ahead visited by Sarah Miles, the author of Take This Bread, who was here in Sonoma very recently talking about her wonderful book about her uh, transformation from being a, an atheist to being a 
functioning Christian. A very interesting story. Um, now, back to the um, announcements we didn't get a chance to read, actually, because we got so involved with what we, other things we were talking about. Um, the Sonoma Valley Hospital, the Integrative Medical Seminar, uh, is having their next uh, uh, presentation on Ayurvedic medicine on April the 16th. Paul Curley, MD, will be talking about Ayurvedic medicine. That's coming up Monday, the 16th of April, 7 to 8, 8 o'clock at the Central Conference Room, Sonoma Valley Hospital. And let's see, what else? I want to remind you that Health Matters is brought to you today in part by St. Joseph Health System, Sonoma County, where we remind you to live life lovingly. Visit stjosephhealth.org. And I want to remind our listeners that we're always interested in what you have to say and what your comments are about our, our Health Matters program here. Uh, we're interested in uh, your feedback. Our phone number, our email address, I should say, is uh, uh, ksvyhealth at aol.com. We're looking for your comments and, and uh, questions. And I want to remind our listeners that our, our motto here at Health Matters is healthcare isn't a noun, it's a verb. And then there's the other teaching of the Yellow Emperor's Classic of Internal Medicine. If you cannot pacify your spirit and you let your mind be complicated with desires and worries, your disease will not be cured. Be healthy. You must avoid anger, worry. Keep your mind at happy, your heart at ease, and your desires at low levels. So saith the Yellow Emperor's Classic of Internal Medicine. So that's our show for today. It's been a real pleasure to have you with us. And again, we do look forward to your uh, questions and comments. We are going to start a, a mailbag, I think, as early as next week. We'll be taking some of the mail-in uh, questions that we had, and we will start answering questions on the air. So, again, that's ksvyhealth at aol.com. Again, our motto, healthcare isn't an noun, it's a verb. Look for you again next week here at Health Matters, KSVY 91.3. Thanks for joining us today.